0: Rivers High School? Um, anybody? Who's Who's remembering high school because it was um, Friday that you were there (laughs) last? At the center of my high school in Florida growing up was a big open courtyard that all the halls and classes led out into, um, which was a beautiful way of this refreshing experience of nature after the claustrophobia of a high school class. You'd step out into this space, and you'd hear the birds singing, and you'd hear Napoleon Dynamite quotes wafting through the air. You'd smell the pine trees and the axe bodies spray all mixing together. It was beautiful. <laughs> um, you can, uh, kids, you can ask your parents what Napoleon Dynamite is. It's been, uh, it's been 15 years since that movie came out, by the way. But I remember I'd step out into the courtyard, and, um, and all around the area were these bunches of, of kids that would gather together, these groups and circles. And they were little islands of identity you'd have the athletes over here and the band kids over here and the skater kids over here and the roller skate kids over here in the midst of that but even in those circles even when you found a place in that no one quite knew who they truly were Um, no one did But we knew in the midst of this crazy world that we needed to find our circle. We needed to find the place where we belong in the midst of it, a place for us. And that is just part of what it means to be a human, especially to be a high school human. We're all trying to figure out who we are and where we belong. And one of the ways that we do that is to start to circle up together and to start to draw boundaries and and borders to determine who's in and who's out We define ourselves and our identities oftentimes by by those distinctions and those boundaries and the circles that we're a part of. And it's not just high school, right? Adult life looks like this sometimes, too. We step out into the world with our Trapper Keeper and our Vote for Pedro t-shirt, and we try to find that place where we belong in this big world. But deep down, we know that that is not how things are supposed to be. And we're not supposed to just define ourselves, by circles and divisions in the midst of this world. That that's not the way that things are supposed to be. That we're so much more than any limited label or circle that we draw around ourselves. We're more than that. And part of us is thirsty to be known as we are. To be known for the truth of who we are and to know each other in that way too. To to quench that spirit, that thirst to be known and to know. But these lines and divisions in our world can get so messy. And especially, I think, where, where religion gets involved in that circle drawing. And for some of us, some of our deepest wounds are, are because of the circles that were drawn in the name of God by human beings. Maybe you've heard those messages and you've begun to internalize them to yourself and, and felt like doors were closed to you because of who you are, how you think, how you love your doubts or your questions, or maybe it's just that you've been through stuff. That life and kids aren't perfect. Maybe you're not sure about this whole God thing at all. There's like so many James's and John's and Jehoshaphats, and like we thought it was about Jesus. What are all these other people doing in this story? And through it all, as you hear those messages, you start to internalize them and you begin to think that maybe just maybe the doors are closed to you. Not just of a church, but but of, of God in general, that God is closed to you. And some of us, our deepest stuff comes from these experiences in our life. Your spirit is thirsty, but you feel outside a closed circle. And if that is you, if that is a message that you've heard in your life, that, that in some way that things are close to you, I am so incredibly sorry for that. Because I want to say this clearly, that is not the heart of our God the heart of a God who is love and the heart of God who is open open to all and open to you at work in you at work for you no matter what the God who created you loves you And the depth of your spirit and the truth of who you are and the uniqueness that you have is not some flaw. It's because our God is a creator and not a duplicator. And your uniqueness is part of what makes you shine and the beauty of who God created you to be. And perhaps those things that, places where you feel most disqualified in, God wants to overwhelm with unqualified love. And so when we say, At the beginning of our open time, when we say all are welcome here, we say it to you and to me and to each other, and we say it on behalf of a God who speaks it over you and in you and through you and for you, that you are welcome, that God is love and God is open to you we see this loving, open heart of God reflected, I think, most clearly in the person of Jesus. Over and over again, his invitation was simple, but it was wide, and it was wide open. Anyone, whosoever, all who would come, all are welcome. And over and over again, Jesus would throw the doors open wide beyond gender and nationality and religion and background and history. And he'd throw the doors open and people would say, that's, that's great, but that's probably far enough, Jesus. <laughs> Let's stop right there. And then Jesus would just like kick it a little bit farther open like he does. Because when God says all people, God means all people. And Jesus was helping us see that. So Jesus lived out that welcome in such a profound and, powerful and transformative and restorative kind of way. He didn't just like throw out a welcome, like a, a mass invite reply all kind of welcome to people. He went specifically to people, especially the people who felt far off. And he sat with them and met them where they were and treated them as people who were loved, as children of God, no matter what. And he went to those who felt separate or overlooked or or closed out and in love helped them peel off all of those labels and connect with the beauty and the purpose and the sacred worth of who they truly are. The very thing that they were thirsty for, the very thing that we are thirsty for, and said to them, God is crafting a new circle with love at its center where you belong, where you can be who you truly are. All are welcome. All are loved. And when Jesus did that, when Jesus walked through this earth in that kind of a way, it sent ripples through our world because in some way, it connected with something that was true. It was true not just for then, but, but yesterday and today and forever. And those ripples continue to reverberate and pull on us and push on us and lift us up, even here, here to this day, that was connected deeply with something in our spirit, with our longings, with something that stamped on our souls as children created in the image of a God who is love and who is open. And Jesus' openness and Jesus' love was a glimpse of, of God's openness and love. And as people began to bump into Jesus and catch a glimpse of that, they began to catch a glimpse of something that God has always been up to. See, throughout human history, God has consistently been calling humanity into wider and wider circles with tenacious patience (laughs) calling us beyond our borders. And when we draw boundaries, breaking them down with boundless love. It's taken humanity and our human history all of time to get as far as we are now. And we still have so far to go. But this is our story. And part of living into that as God's children is our mission here on this earth. And the good news of God's love that we have to share. So. This, uh, this narrative of history, of God at work within us, widening our circles, is captured within the, the community of library, the community library that we call scripture, right? So we're going to look at it a little bit today, and we're going to zoom through about 2,000 years of biblical narrative and history, so everybody just put on your seatbelts today. We're going to roll. Are you ready for this? Okay, let's start in the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. Um, uh, It's important, though, to kind of look at this in broad strokes because it helps us see God's tenacious and patient invitation that has always been there to love more deeply and to love more widely that has been there from the very beginning and throughout the story and is there for us in our time and in our culture and as open and as people here in this day. So here's what I mean. So at the very beginning of of human cultural history, we, uh, we started to learn how to love and to care for people outside of ourselves. We started to learn to care for our our family around us. And that's that's how we began to relate to people outside of our sphere. But in the story of Scripture, when God shows up intersecting with the first and central family in this story, about 1800 BCE in this story, when God first intersects the central family in Israel's history, God had a bigger vision for them than just one family. And the family was that of a guy named Abram, later called Abraham. And he was the one that that Christianity and Judaism and Islam all trace their family lineage. And God intersects with this family and invites them into a bigger vision of what family and God's family looks like and their task in that. And so check this out. In Genesis chapter 12, way back at the beginning. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So step out the limited walls of just family and place. And he says, and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing and in you, all the families of earth shall be blessed. God had a bigger vision for this family, one that was wide enough to encompass all of the families of earth. And as humanity, at that point in our history, we were just learning how to love that circle of our own family, and in that moment, God widened their view and opened their eyes to the wider human family. And then, as as time went on, and, and the story of our faith went on, as humanity began to develop beyond mere families, they began to learn how to care within their nation or within their tribe... Um, they would begin as a nation or a tribe to write their rules of who was in and out of inclusion and exclusion. And we have one of those recorded in, in a place like Deuteronomy, chapter 23, 3. And this is about 1300 BCE in our story's timeline. So here's what they write. No Ammonite or Moabite shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of their descendants shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. Which we see those kinds of, like, things all the time. Um, and we just blow right past them. Because does anybody know a Moabite? Anybody from Moab? Or any, there, I guess there's some people from Utah who are from, from Moab. All right, cool. So we don't know them, and so it just kind of blows past us. But here's this people saying, Ten generations, it doesn't matter what happens in the past or the future, you are not allowed in the assembly of the Lord and it stands out in particular because 3 books later in our scripture library there's a book called the book of Ruth maybe you've heard of it before it's about this faithful woman who shows up on the scene named Ruth the Moabite <laughs> a moabite woman who was from outside the nation and outside their ethnicity and she was vulnerable in this time socially and economically but in her story she's welcomed in by the assembly Holistically, spiritually, into the assembly of the Lord. And, and in this crazy episode of the biblical bachelor, which is a lot of what the Old Testament is, um, it seems like she marries an important Israelite and becomes part of, of the assembly. And yada, 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 she shows up again in Matthew chapter 1, an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac dot, 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 dot. and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David, and dot, 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 and Joseph was the father of Jesus in this line. Ruth, the Moabite, Shows up in the lineage of Jesus as the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus and the great, great grandmother of David, great grandmother of David, like someone was trying to make a point along the way. Forget that 10th generation stuff. Forget Moabites and Ammonites. All are welcome here. Not just in theory, but in the lineage of King David. In the lineage of Jesus, the circles are wider than you might expect. And so every time that humanity would draw the circle of care and love, God would say, that's great. Now draw it a little wider. Open it a little more. As if God were patiently and tenaciously teaching us through human history to say, anyone, everyone, whosoever would come all are welcome here, just like Jesus did. The Jesus who showed us God's heart and who lived it out by welcoming the lawyer and the leper, the devout and the doubter, the philosopher and the fisherman, the male and the female gasp, and the Jew and the Greek and the Samaritan triple gasp, and even Peter (laughs) and even Judas were welcomed in. the timeless message is that God's grace is open to all, and it keeps on working on us. From Abraham to Ruth to Jesus to open, keeps on working on us. And even though the systems of, of inclusion and exclusion are pervasive and persistent and pernicious and prejudicial, God keeps on working on us. And pushing us. And pushing against those high school boundaries that we've formed. And saying to us, all are welcome here. All are loved. And for us as human beings, we begin to gradually wake up. We're surprised. We're challenged. We begin to grow in our understanding of exactly what God meant by all. About exactly what God has been doing since the beginning. And it's always been there. So I'm going to pick up. We're going to skip about 2,000 years or so and, and pick up at the beginning of the church in this story as well. And so here's the beginning of the church. The church has always struggled with God's wide welcome um, and to figure out exactly how to put that into practice. But amidst that struggle, that welcome has widened along our history nonetheless. And so I want to tell one last story from Scripture about a time when the doors swung open in a profound way. And the story is from Acts chapter 15. It's about the first followers of Jesus and the first church, just after Jesus was gone. Um, And they're still trying to figure out exactly what Jesus meant by everyone. Like, everyone, everyone? Or like... You know, have you seen Pastor Jonathan dance? You might not want him in the assembly, especially if he's going to get rocking. Um, but this was a hard thing for them because the first followers of Jesus were Jewish and had been Jewish <laughs> their whole lives and forever. And that's all they knew of, of Jesus was that Jesus was the Messiah of Israel. That's how they understood this. But as they began to share that message into the wider world, they kept bumping into Gentiles, like non-Jewish people. Who, uh, who began to respond to this message and this invitation and in God's love. And it, and it seemed like God was moving and working in Gentile lives. And that's not what was supposed to happen. Because in their understanding culturally and religiously, in Judaism, Gentiles were just like not invited to the circle unless they wanted to become Jewish. They couldn't be invited as they were. Unless they were, became Jewish, they were called unclean And Jews weren't allowed to share a meal with them, which made communion really hard. (laughs) If you had, like, the Jew line and the Gentile line. They couldn't fellowship with them. And there were even important verses in Scripture, like that one we read about the Moabites and the Ammonites. Those were Gentiles. That essentially they understood and interpreted to say, don't have anything to do with Gentiles. And yet, as they moved in the world, here they bump up against Gentiles who are turning... To Jesus, and even more than that, they began to see the spirit of God alive and at work in Gentiles, in Gentiles' lives. How could that be? How could God be at work in someone who was supposed to be out outside the circle? How was God calling something clean and accepted and welcomed that was unexpected for them culturally and religiously? for them this was a crisis of faith at the beginning of of the followers of Jesus that challenged everything that they felt like they had read and they had interpreted and assumed that they knew about who God was and who and how God was at work in the world. And so the first church in the face of this crisis did what any good church would do. They called a business meeting. Right? <laughs> they all gathered together and sat around one big conference table in the midst of this. It was, it was riveting stuff. And there's actually business meetings in our scriptural record of this stuff. It's riveting stuff. Um, it was riveting if you were a Gentile in the midst of this for sure. So the church wrestled in this. And of course, it was Peter in that assembly who spoke up first. And he began to talk about his experience, about how he had stepped out into the world he he'd unexpectedly seen and heard from Gentiles. And he'd seen God at work in the hearts of unexpected people. And so here's what he says in Acts chapter 15, verse 8. said, God, who knows the human heart, testified to them, to the Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as God did to us, Jewish folks. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, God has made no distinction between them and us. In those days, they made lots of distinctions, but it seemed like God wasn't. And Peter had listened to the experiences of those around him, and it changed him. And, the, and in response to those experiences and this testimony from Peter, the church listened. And it was challenged, and it began to open its heart to the fact that God was at work in the hearts of the people around them. And this experience of listening to the experience of others drove the church back to God and drove the church to Scripture. And this time, they began to seek God and to read Scripture, listening to their neighbor's voices, listening less to those voices of exclusion, and trying to listen to God. And this time, something happened. And they began to hear something that they had missed for so long. It's something that if you look at the narrative of human history, we can glimpse in ways and we can see it profoundly in Jesus. This larger story of God's never-changing, always-open welcome. Of a God who's working patiently and tenaciously amidst our messy culture to pull us toward a new cultural vision. Of all people welcomed in the love and the life of God. And so, the first church at this business meeting, they study scripture, they listen to their neighbor, and they seek to hear God in it all. And the chair of the committee, this guy named James, clears his throat, <clears throat> and he stands up and he quotes from the book of Amos. And he reads it in a way that maybe they'd never understood it before. But it's a verse that speaks of God's historic, timeless plan to gather all people. And so here's what James the Just says. He said, This agrees with the words of the prophets as it is written. And so here he quotes from Amos. After this I will return. Now we rebuild my people so that all other peoples may seek the Lord even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord, who's been making these things known from long ago. Thus says the Lord, who's been saying this all along, and we are just waking up to it, and James takes the mic and drops it. And he opens their minds to the fact that God might just be doing something through Jesus the Messiah that was bigger than they could conceive. But it was something that God had always been up to. That God had been doing from long ago. And because of their open minds and open hearts, the church decided to open its doors wide. And so James says this at the conclusion of his talk. He says, therefore, I have reached the decision that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God, that we should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God, for all those who are turning to God, for whosoever that all would find welcome in place of difficulty. And as a pastor who stands... In the stream and tradition of a church, I just read this. We shall not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. And I just humbly beg forgiveness for the ways that we've made it difficult for those who are turning to God, for the ways that we have missed God's heart, for the ways that we have missed God's welcome, for the ways that we still do. And I ask forgiveness for for everyone in this room, for those places where we have made it difficult for you. As you turn toward God, that you found obstacles and impediments in your way because of your story or your identity, because of your doubts or your questions or your imperfections, for the ways that it has been difficult. But know this, when it has been difficult, it has been us and not God. Not the God who is love. Not the God who has been patiently and tenaciously pulling us forward. Not the God who has been kicking open the doors wider than sometimes we're comfortable with. The God who is love. The God who says all are welcome here. And so we, I, want to stand in the center of that timeless message. I want to be a person of the all-inviting all encompassing, all welcoming God. I want to be a person who stands in a community who says, All are welcome here. And with everything that we do, because it's the heart of God that it's not a belief system for us or a declaration, that it's our spiritual practice, that we do everything we can to welcome each other in Christ's love, to welcome each other in Christ's love no matter what, that in the midst of of difficult seasons and hard times that we are there welcoming each other and bearing with each other in Christ's love in the seasons of doubt and the seasons of faith as we listen to the experience of others, especially those who are different than us, as we seek peace and seek to live in love with one another, that we stand there as people of an all-welcoming God and say, you are welcome here. And to say honestly, we will not be perfect, we will make mistakes, but God will always be pulling on us. And we will strive to be a place where all are truly welcome where all belong and all are loved and all and you can encounter and turn toward a God who loves you without difficulty that is our spiritual practice to make welcome in the name of Christ in this place and in our lives in our workplaces in our family in our neighborhood and in our culture that's our spiritual practice. So here's how Paul says it in Romans 15:7. He says, Welcome one another. Therefore, just as Christ, the Christ who opened the doors wide, welcomed you to the glory of God. In Christ, all are welcome. That's the timeless mission. To so the glory of a God who is love. So when I think about making welcome. In space of difficulty, Um, I think about one of the most important welcoming moments in my family's life. um, Those transformative moments where our circle got wider. So here's some context. Uh, I was born in Mississippi. My mama's family is from Mississippi. My daddy's family is from Mississippi. Um, Yes, (laughs) I love Mississippi. I've got some Mississippi friends here. It's a place like no other um, in that too. So you can know the context in which this story is taking place. So in that Mississippi family, my favorite cousin along the way is Killian, um, who's a trans man. And I remember the first Thanksgiving amidst Killian's uh, transition. So the night before he arrived. Um, the rest of the family was all around. Killian had to work an extra shift before he could get off. And no one had really said much about it. We were just talking, catching up. But it was in the air. It was in the air. And so I wasn't surprised when I heard someone clear their throat, <laughs> like James in Acts 15. But I was surprised that it was my grandmother who clinked the glass and cleared the throat It was my 90-year-old Mississippi grandmother. And she said, Listen, y'all. Killian's going to be here tomorrow. And we love him, don't we? So, I want you to say he. I want you to say him. I want you to call him Killian in my house and she said there are things in this life that are going to be difficult for Killian but it is not going to be difficult in my house and in our family and it was quiet (laughs) for a moment she said and that's all I'm going to say about that and somebody said Amen. And then we all said, Amen. And just like that, she made welcome. She made Killian welcome. She made Killian's parents and Killian's sister, who were in that room at that moment, welcome. But it was more than just that. She made all of us welcome. Because all of us stepped into that family with that pressure of Thanksgiving, carrying our own stuff and our own baggage and our own story and our own identity and our own things into this place and wondering if we were going to be welcome, if we could be honest about who we were. And we stepped into that place to a mamaw who says, this is my house and all are welcome here. It may be difficult for you out there, but it's not going to be difficult family. So open. This is God's house. This is God's family. And God has made it clear that all, anyone, whosoever, all who would come, all are welcome here. And so there will be difficult things in this life and in this world as we go through it, but it will not be difficult in here. Insofar as we were, are able, it will not be difficult for those who are turning to God. Insofar as we are able and with God's grace and God's work pulling on us all, we will be more and more able every day of our life to make welcome and to love like our God loves. So, in this place and in our lives, we say all are welcome here for the glory of God for the glory of a loving God who never changes but whose love changes everything Amen Let's pray together God we thank you that we are welcome in your arms in your love in your grace, in your life. We thank you for the courageous people who have made us welcome, for Peter who stood up and allowed us Gentiles to be a part of the story, for the fearless women who made space for women, for the fearless advocates and allies and people who made space for people of every identity and orientation and race and nationality and religion and creed, in whose lives we see a reflection of your heart that has said to us all along, Moabites are welcome. Ammonites are welcome. All the families of this earth are welcome. All who would, whosoever, everyone, all are welcome, all are loved, and all are invited to the life and the grace we find in Christ to the glory of God may it be that way for us